0: Hello, hello, how you guys doing? All right, it got worse. It's okay, it's okay. Thank you, whoever's there. All right, uh, my name is Michael, for you guys who don't know me, and uh, I have the privilege of uh, speaking today on a brand new series called The Curiosities. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, man, that guy's so creative. The Curiosities, whoa. Wow, what a name. I'm curious, right? Uh, No, I stole it, I stole the name. Uh, I stole it from The Greatest Showman. You guys seen that musical yet? No? I'm not like a musicals kind of guy, but you get Hugh Jackman singing and something happens. I don't know, and and this is kind of a side note, but we all have to know this. Um, Every single Zac Efron song without, or Zac Efron movie without songs in it, garbage, right? It's absolute garbage, right? High School Musical 1, fantastic. High School Musical 2, even better. High School Musical 3, it's my life. And uh, Hairspray, great. Greatest Showman, fantastic. Baywatch, didn't do do too hot. Now, there is a debate, 17 again, but I think Chandler from Friends carries that movie, so... uh, that's about that. Anyway, so as we're watching uh, <laughs> the weirdest side note, Greatest Showman, uh, this whole movie is about a bunch of kind of like scallions or like people who are kind of awkward and odd and really weird and they bring them all together and they create this thing called the circus and it's awesome but they're all strange and they all have like weird facial hair and like all that kind of stuff. And he says, look at the oddities and the curiosities. And so I started like, kind of thinking about that. And I'm going, this is so interesting. Moving into the season of big changes for us and all of these things, what does it look like for us to understand our position as the curiosities of the people who don't really do the things that regularly are seen for us to do? And why do we as people who follow Jesus in this kind of really outward and unashamed way Seems so kind of out of place at times. And what are some of the things that make us a bit out of place? What are some of the things that make us a bit? of a curiosity. Today we are going to be, if you have Bibles, uh, if you don't have a Bible you can just lift up your hands and one of uh, our leaders will grab you one. And uh, if you do not own a Bible that is yours to take home and uh, for you to keep. So uh, they'll get those to you in just one second. And if you do have a Bible uh, go to Romans chapter 9. Uh, we're going to go from verses 1 to uh, 4. Uh, and this is uh This is what Paul says, Romans chapter 9. uh, Let's go from 1 and let's go to uh, verse 4. No, verse 3. says this, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. Verse 2, that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. I'll read it one more time. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Let's, uh, let's pray and uh, see kind of what we got going on here. Father, we just uh, thank you for tonight, for 2018 and all of its uh, awesomeness that's going to come, and the great things that you're going to kind of just show yourself in uh, through the next year, through all the changes that are happening here, and uh, for these students that they got here safe, they had an awesome uh, time away, and uh, that it's, you know, a good time to come back and just go with full strength through the rest of the school year as they finish off, and uh, that we would just be on mission. We would have a vision in front of us of what it is that we're actually called to do and that you would kind of bring that to light today. So, Father, we love you. We thank you. just want to pray. Amen. This, is, uh, this has kind of been one of those passages that has always really struck me. And if you've been around me, you've probably heard me talk about this passage, Romans 9, 1-3, because it, it hits me kind of on a different level than most things. Basically what Paul is saying here is he's looking at all of his surroundings and all the people around him and he goes, man, me and that guy used to hang out and that, me, me and that guy were bros and, and them and them, we know all of these individuals. And he looks at all of these people and he like has this broken heart about him. He just looks at them and he's like, man, like I, I cannot believe that you have no idea who Jesus is. Like you think you know, but you, like, you, you don't know him. You haven't really trusted, you haven't really had the faith that I'm like hoping and desiring with this broken heart that you would have. And his heart is so broken and he's in such anguish and such sorrow that he goes to the point to say, God, listen, even if it means, and this is where it's crazy, even if it means for me to go to hell and for them to be with you, I'll take that trade. If, if I get cut off, but they're in, I'll take that trade. And I look at that and I go, what? That's, that's crazy. Like what, what would ever make you in the right mind push to want to have, God, I, I'll be cut off from you for the rest of my life, but if they're in, then we're good. What would lead someone to do that? There's a change, there's a shift in this individual that makes them think differently about the people that surround them. And that's super important for us to understand it. It's kind of like, uh, you know, in French they have that term and there's like that really beautiful song, Le Vie en Rose. Have you ever heard that song before? I'm not going to sing it because I forgot how it goes, <laughs> whatever. And uh, Le Vie en Rose basically mean, means life with rose glasses, like living life with rose colored glasses. And it's almost as kind of a, a term meaning you put these glasses on and you see all of the world differently than you did before. It's these things that you put on or something that has been given to you that lets you see everything else differently in life. And then I look at my own life and I go, okay, what's something in me that's kind of changed in the same way that Paul's talking about, like this really, really intense difference for himself. He went from, I'm going to go and kill me some Christians to now I'm going to give my life for people I barely even know. How do you get to that spot? And I thought about my life. Man, I am, uh, I'm a really stubborn kind of person Uh, and I've always been really stubborn my whole life. And uh, so you got me and a family of like a bunch of stubborn people and we'd always have to sit there and and fight with one another about dumb things. You know what I mean? Like uh, my cousin was the kind of person who he saw like the last little bit of like Cheerios and he knew he didn't need that much but he would just take all of it so I couldn't get any. And I'm like, I'm about to kill this kid. You know what I mean? Like that, that was my family. I mean, my mom would get into fights all the time, all the time, all the time. And my mom, right? Little four foot jalapeno, right? We talked about her. She had this thing growing up where she would never say I'm sorry to me, never. And I would sit there and go like, well, if you ain't saying I'm sorry, I'm not saying I'm sorry. Now, I have a kryptonite in my life. My kryptonite is my grandmother. She is just the sweetest, oh my, she's way better than all of your grandmas, 100%, okay? She's, she is honestly an angel put on earth. And every single time, me and my mom would get into this big old spat, she'd walk up to my room, she'd come into my bedroom, and I'd be angry, I'm like killing people in Halo, like mad, I'm like, ugh, you deserve it, you know, like, and she'd walk up to me and really calmly, she'd kind of put her hand on me and just say, like, you need to go and apologize. I couldn't say no. So I'd go and I'd walk over to my mom's room and begrudgingly and kind of out of commitment for my grandmother, I would say I'm sorry, and I would apologize. But I never would have done that if it was just up to my own accord. That being about maybe like 10 years ago or in, and so on, I look at myself now and I go, what's happened to me? I'm married and uh, I'm kind of a passionate person, right? Like I, you can see, I'm, I'm like, yeah, right? So that's me. And uh, if you guys have ever met my wife, she's like at a million all the time. and. Uh, and so you got somebody at a million, and you got like me, sometimes both of those are going to just, right? Like that's going to happen. So we're driving home the other day, and we're in the car, and we're just, you know, uh, talking about Jesus uh, in a very <laughs> loud manner. And, uh, and we get into this kind of a, a spat. Yes, we had a fight. I am human. I have flaws. And uh, she says something. I'm gonna be honest with you, I did say this. We're talking about something and my wife begins to cry. And I look at her and I go, why are you crying? She goes, you don't have to ask me why I'm crying, right? It's a crying accent. And I go, okay. And she goes, thank you for caring about why I'm crying. And I go, (laughs) and I say back, because I think the reason why you're crying is stupid. And uh, and it's a couple things in life when you say them, you're like, ooh, really? No, that was that was really dumb. And uh, and so then you get kind of like awkward uh, woman scorn, you know, where uh, they like look out the window and don't say anything to you and turn off the music just to make it even more dramatic. And and uh, we get back into the house, and you know, I'm, I'm upset, she's upset, we're both mad, and uh, go to the bathroom kind of just like going there and like, I'm just like, whatever, yeah, whatever. Like I'm intense and, uh, and something, I don't know what it was, something in me just decided to go, this is my fault. I have to fix this, which is crazy. I I would never in my life do this. I always had to get forced to do this thing. And suddenly I recognized this this tiny little shift. And I walk outside the bathroom. She's sitting there on the floor. And I just walked to her. And I said, I'm sorry. This is all my fault. I apologize. You had no wrong. It was all me. And I sat there and I was just like, what in the world has ever made me think to do something like this? I never would have done this. What is so different about me that makes this kind of an action happen? That it's completely different from how I used to be. And I think about the same thing with Paul, and I go, is there, like a, is there kind of like a pattern or a rhythm of people kind of feeling this way? Like, hey, listen, if they're gonna be out, like, let me, be, let me take the hit for them. Because I love them, I care for them. I will be away from you, Jesus, if they can know you. Like, I'll take the hit. Is there a rhythm? We're a pattern of this biblically. And there is. Exodus uh, chapter 32. There's this brilliant story where Moses goes and he approaches God after the people have done just some stupid things. And Moses goes to God and in verse 31 he says this. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people have sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin... But if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. And it's the same thing, where Moses sees all the people around him in a completely different relationship, where they should be with God, and he goes up to God and he says, listen, if they can be in, I will go out. And it just leads me to constantly think, going like, why? Why? What, what is drawing these people to kind of come to the same conclusion about this? They will take the hits so other people can benefit. That doesn't really make a lot of sense, especially for you and I. You and I are not run by self-sacrifice and let's help the other person as much as we want to. If we're really honest with ourselves, we help other people to feel better about ourselves. Because the majority of us, a lot of us, probably all of humanity is run by one certain thing and that's personal desire. We measure our lives by did we get what we wanted to get. Think about it. We just left a whole season that amplifies personal desire, right? You asked your parents for a gift, they didn't get it to you and then you feel like, are you serious, mom? Do you even love me? Like that's that's what we get into, right? What's Christmas all about? If we're honest with ourselves, Christmas is about an awkwardly fast, overweight man who goes down chimneys and has zero self-control because he eats every cookie, right? So we're like, that's all that this season is talking about. It is just that you believe in some kind of a way that the measure of your life is your own personal desire. If this is what I want, this is what I should receive. If that's what I am expecting to get, that is what I should receive. And you measure your whole life, whether you're a success or a failure, based on those desires. I want to get into this school. That's my desire. I do not get into that school. I am now a failure in my own opinion. Because the thing that runs what it is that you want to do in your life is personal desire. So, what makes this individual, Paul, what makes this individual, Moses, have a personal desire so counter to everyone around you? What is it? What's the shift for him? There's one simple thing. You in high school are getting, you who are in high school are getting into the place where uh, a lot of your friends or something are dating. And they start dating someone, and, uh, and naturally you begin to see them change a little bit, right? First off, they get to you, and I don't know, maybe it's a girl, whatever, comes to you, she's your friend, she goes, oh my gosh, he's just cute, right? And you're like, yes, he is. And then you're like, let's make it happen. And somehow because you're all, let's be honest, you all manipulate, right? You try to figure out all his favorite things from their friends and all of a sudden you go like, hey, <laughs> heard you like Dragon Ball. <laughs> <laughs> Goku, <laughs> right? That's what every girl like goes and does this weird manipulative way. And, and all of a sudden, you go, and you, you date this dude or whatever, and you kind of hang out with them a little bit more, and maybe they're, like, really into hockey, and now you start going to their hockey games. You start going with their parents, and you're like, oh, I'm just gonna go watch Timmy's hockey game, right? <laughs> I, I haven't met a Timmy in, like, 17 years. Anyway, so I'm gonna go watch Tim play some hockey, and I don't, I'm not, I'm flapping. Anyway, so and we go, and you get to, uh, you get to the arena or whatever and you're, you're there with your mom and you kind of look around and you see his parents, his parents kind of yelling out like, go Tim, come on, punch him or whatever. Like, I don't know how aggressive they are. And you find yourself, if you go to more and more of these things, you begin to be the person who starts yelling out, no, punch him or whatever. And you start beginning to take on some of the qualities of the person that you're, you're dating or whatever. A couple months ago, um, if you guys don't know this about me in my personal life, I have a notorious problem with speaking in accents. Like, it is a disease. I have to get something, someone has to pray for me. Like, it's, a, it's an issue. And, um, and so all of a sudden, we go downstairs, and I'm pulling out everything. You know, I'm, I'm going all of them, right? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's, anyway. So I'm going on these accents, and we're downstairs, we are going into the car, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, my wife just starts going off in this like, fake Irish accent, which is, let's be straight, she needs some help. So she's going for it and I looked at her for a second and I just kind of nudged her and I was like, do you, do you realize something? She's like, no, I'm like, that's a me thing. And she goes, oh Lord, help me, right? So she's, she's now terrified. I have this weird thing where I go up to people and it's like, I don't know, I end sentence, Like any sentence with the word face. I don't know why, but I go, hey, what's up, man? How you doing with the face? And everyone just kind of thinks it's normal. I don't know. Nobody says anything about it. And then my wife, a couple months ago, just comes up to me one day. She just goes, hey, man, how's it going with the face? I'm like, what in the Lord's good name did you just say? And she immediately just knew, oh my gosh, what happened to me? Something in her automatically has changed and shifted to where she has become more like me involuntarily. Why? Because she just decided to spend the time. She just decided to spend the time. She was with me for so long, it was kind of like osmosis, right? All of my weird tendencies and habits or whatever now went to her, and she's beginning to act exactly like me because she took the time. So what draws somebody like Moses To say to someone else, if they get to get in and I have to be out, let's do that. What draws someone like Paul to go and say, listen, if they they get to go in and I have to be out, I want to do that. What draws those people to do that? What is that kind of a shift? Spending the time. Spending the time with someone who has said that exact same thing over and over and over again. It's the whole reason why we're in this room. Because there was one individual who said, hey, listen, if I have to take the hit so that they can get in, I'm going to do that. Is the reason why we're in this space, the reason why we come every single week, the reason why we read the Bible and we show up and we talk to one another about this whole book, the reason why we do any of these things is because of this guy named Jesus, who his whole story, his whole MO is, I am going to come for lost people. I will show up for those who have no idea who God is and have this whole different story in their minds about life. I'll take the hit so they can get in. And Paul, just like Lise, spends time with that kind of individual and over, and over and over and over and over and over again, he just commits to the time over and over. And what does he get to the conclusion of when he's asked? That the only thing in him is to want to do the same thing that Jesus did. Now, for some of us, this is going to be really interesting How do we get into the place where we say to ourselves, I want to also go. And I want to have this kind of self-sacrifice. And I want to go tell people about who Jesus is. And I don't want to just be there for all the things that I want. I want to be able to overcome. I want to be able to say, man, listen, I'll take the hit if they can be in. How do I get to that place? Uh, There's this guy by the name of uh, St. Francis of Assisi. And, uh, weird name, I don't know. And uh, he says this thing about Jesus, which I found to be so interesting. Because the first thing that you have to have is a deep relationship with Jesus. And he says this, above all the grace and the gifts that Christ gives to his beloved is that of overcoming self. Is that of overcoming self. That in all things, God gives us the ability to overcome ourselves and our own basic desires, and the things that we really want so that we can go and be more like who he is. Does everything have to be about me? Does my whole life have to revolve around me and what I want and what I want to do with? No, that's the whole point of this. He's saying, get over yourself. Think about the person down the road. Think about all of the issues that we sit here and we talk about constantly over and over and over again in church. Where we have to say to you, listen, go and invite someone here, or go and tell someone about the gospel. This makes zero sense for us to go and not think about our own comfort and our own joy and our own desire and the things that we want to do. And we have to go, and we as youth ministries have to, you know, incentivize you and say, hey, listen, you should bring your friend because we're going to give away a gift, and that's the thing we need to use to push you to bring someone or to go be honest and courageous to go and talk to someone about Jesus? That makes no sense. We have to push you with products and with consumerism to go and share the greatest thing in your entire life with somebody else. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us. To go. And to understand, you are not, if you follow Jesus, if you love him, if you believe in him, if you've been baptized, you are not here for you. This is not about you. This is not us saying, hey, listen, I'm going to go to this service and go to those things because I need to feel better about myself. How many of us leave this room and all the things that they ever think about and critique the service about has things to do with what you wanted to do? Oh man, like it wasn't a full band today. (sighs) What a bummer. Oh man, like I I, I walked in there and this is crazy because we all do this. Nobody talked to me tonight. Nobody said anything to me. Nobody said hi. And this is constantly our issue because your desire and everyone's desire is I want somebody else to walk up to me and never for a second do we ever have the thought going, well, if I want to make friends, maybe I should walk up to them. It's simple, but it's a shift. It's a change. It's like putting on those glasses and seeing all of the world differently. How is it that we all constantly complain over and over and over again about how we feel so alone? We don't really have the friends that we want. And I go, okay, so we're a room full of people who don't have the community that we want. And I go, why don't you have the community that you want? Well, because no one really cares about me. No one comes and talks to me. Have you talked to anyone? Well, no. And yet we all find ourselves in the exact same place, in the exact same position, and we never take a time to just switch and go, what if I did for someone else what I wanted to be done for me? To just stop for a second and go, life is not about me. Life is not about me. That's what I gave up, buying into all of this. As soon as I saw Jesus and I read all of this and I said, listen, his whole life was to be given away to others. He came, I wanted to save and seek the lost to the point where I will die on a cross, a horrible death. So they can just come to know him, to know him deeper in a more manageable way because I will take the hit so they can be in. How many of us have this kind of impression of life? We're going, this isn't not for my self-interest. This isn't for what I want to have accomplished. This is so I can give my life away. It's a simple shift. And how does that happen? I think for some of us at this point, we're going to go, man, I need to get out of this service and I just need to pray to God that he would give me a greater desire to love people. I think that's what our solution is. I think that we would go out of here and we would say, God, please just put in me a spirit of just loving others and caring for them. And I would say if that's the way that you come out of the room, you're actually thinking in the wrong way. You leaving here and saying, God, give me a greater heart for people is not the answer. You leaving here and saying, God, let me know Jesus more is It's just like Paul. It's just like Leish and myself. What does she do? She spends the time. She spends the time. She spends the time. She spends the time. And what happens? She ends up becoming more like me. What did Paul do? He just spent time with Jesus. He just spent time with Jesus. He just spent time with Jesus. And what ended up happening? He became more like him. What happened with Moses who had a relationship with God unlike anybody else, who would look at him face to face and talk to him and plead on his people's behalf and what began to happen. He was just with him. He was just with him. He was just with him over and over and over again. It was natural that he became more like him. The answer is not for you to leave here and go, God, I I want to just love people more. The answer is, let me know Jesus more inside of my heart and that will take care of the rest. Because if I know him, I'll become more like him. And if I become more like him, I'll be more patient. I'll love more than I've ever possibly imagined. I would never think to put myself first and them last. I would always look at the people all around me at my schools. And I would look at them in such a way that changes everything about the way that I live. Like, when's the last time we had that thought? We're walking through Tweedsmere, or Clayton, or Earl Marriott, or White Rock Christian, or PA, and we go through and we go, man, like my heart is breaking, because you, they, they don't know him. His, the extent to which he wants to go to is, I will give myself up. Where are you at? Is your life and all that you do placed in an area where you think that it's all about yourself, where you think about, man, I come here for me, do this whole church thing for me. I go to youth so I can feel better. Because I feel like if that's the mentality, it's not the same that Jesus would have. We have to be really serious about that, because if we just see selfishness growing into our heart, then the overwhelming consensus that this deepness in our heart of just rooted into sin is like I, I don't know him enough. I don't know him enough. And the problem with Christians is not that they don't know the right answers. It's that they want to run away. It's as simple as that. Why do you think we never post anything about, hey, bring your friends and we're going to give them Beats headphones or we're going to give them a hat or we're going to give them something because we shouldn't have to think that followers of Jesus have to get pushed with products to bring people to Jesus. Our only desire in our hearts, the only thing that should matter to us is not that I get something out of this exchange. If the only thing I get out of this is that my friend knows Jesus, that should be the greatest thing to me. Why? Because that's exactly what Jesus would want. And I've committed to be more like him. To say what he says, to do what he did, to be like he was. That's our overwhelming goal. And if we're honest, the world is not like that. It's a me first kind of mentality. I'm the only one looking out for myself. It's why you're a curiosity. It's why you're called to be different. And we're not supposed to have this weird, horrible view of people who don't follow Jesus. And I think at times we've manipulated that, we in the church. We look at non-Christians and we think they're like pure evil or something, and they're not. I've heard this explained. It's like a non-Christian's down the street and someone, like a little kid's on a tricycle going down the cul-de-sac. And you're thinking like some non-Christian's just gonna look at them and just, you know? And then eat them or something. Like, I don't know. Like, that's not how this whole thing works. Just because they don't go to a service or just because they don't go to a church does not mean that they are, these are people who are not intended to be loved. They should be loved all the more. Your heart should break all the more. Just think about it and ask yourself a really honest question. Do you not ask other people about Jesus or tell other people about Jesus or even bring up the conversation or have the courage to do any of this because you don't actually know how sweet it is for yourself? Somebody used this illustration yesterday and I thought it was brilliant of Christians. Christians are kind of like travel agents at times. People who go to church are kind of like travel agents. What do you do when you go to a travel agent? You walk in, say, hey, I want to go to this place. You go, hey, have you ever been there before? And they go, no, I've never been there before, but I can tell you all the cool tour destinations to go to. Here's where you go for this. This is where you go for this. This is where you go for this. And a, a travel agent basically just tries to get you to go somewhere where they've never been. And my fear is that that's what we're doing here is that we're telling people, hey, listen, know Jesus, know Jesus, go after him, this is how you get to him, when we've actually never seen that for ourselves. Because if we felt that, if we've, if we've tasted the sweet mercies of what grace really is, there's nothing holding me back from wanting to share that with the people around me, because you know it, you feel it in you. It's like when you watch a great movie or go to a great restaurant and there's something in you that goes like, man, I've, I've felt it, like I've experienced it into a measure where I have to tell someone to go or to watch it or to see it. There's something in you that goes, I want you to see what I've seen. I want you to taste what I have tasted. I want you to feel what I have felt. And if we take the same logic to Jesus, we go, man, the reason I feel no need to go and share the gospel It's because it's never hit home for me. And then it all begins to make sense. Why do I have no desire to share Jesus with other people? Because I don't really know him. Because I haven't spent the time And it's not really a knowledge thing where I don't know how to, it's a desire thing. I feel no desire to want to just read my Bible and to pray. And listen, this isn't just reading your Bible for sakes of reading your Bible. If you do not, if you read your Bible and don't get closer to Jesus, then it's pointless. If you pray and don't try in all of you to be closer to Jesus, it's pointless. The only reason you do those things is because the motivation and the greatest desire in your heart after knowing him and seeing him for real is to go, man, this is all that I want. And the only reaction after that is for you to go, and I need everyone around me. I need them to know this. I need them to know this to the point where, man, I will be cut off so they can know him because I know the greatness and the glory of Jesus. Because I know what he's done for me. I felt all of these things within myself that just go, man, I am broken and ashamed of myself. And I feel no value in who I am. And in an instant, I see his face and I see grace that he has given to me. And everything about me is, I felt this. Why would you not want that for other people? That you would be at the conclusion to yourself going, man, I also in myself would say, listen, I will be out so they can be in. It's all we're trying to do. Why do we sing songs? Why do we say words? Because that is the expression of our desire. We're calling out as much as we can to just go, God, please, show your love to the people around us. Show your love to them. And at times we get upset with God and we say, God, why haven't you done this or why haven't you done that or why haven't you done this or why haven't you, why haven't you shown yourself to so-and-so? Why haven't you done a great miracle in so-and-so's life? Why haven't you done this? Why does it seem like salvation is so far from them and God is yelling out, listen, you are next to them. Salvation is very, very near. You want me to send the miracle to them? Be it. You want me to send the blessing to them? Be it. You want them to show? You want me to show who I am to them? Then show them who I am. And we constantly ask of God to do something, to do something, to do something, and we're standing right there and he's looking to you and saying, "Do it." It's the call to get over ourselves, to overcome our desires and just want to be with his, his will. It's not exactly what Jesus did in the garden. God, not my will, but yours be done. Let us be on the same page and let's move forward. It's probably why you guys are asking a lot of the questions as to why we're shifting. Why are we starting a new site? In Langley. Why are we changing something that's been been going so good for us? And if I'm honest, it has nothing to do with you. Nothing. It has everything to do with them. And the people in those cities. And the people in those high schools. And the people surrounding that church that we're going to meet at. And saying, maybe there's a chance for them if we go. And I have to give up my comfort and the things that I like and my habits and my routines so that they can make it. It doesn't even take me a second. And we begin to realize that every single day we are given the same choice to overcome self to not think about me first, but to be others interested, to care for them in such a way where we give Jesus to them in a brand new fashion. And you begin to check back and you look at yourself and you go, whoa, I've become a curiosity. And now you understand why when a Christian acts like a Christian, people begin to question. And what's the main thing that people ask? Why? Why? And the're curious. that every single time the gospel is moved into action, those who are far from it ask questions. And I hope we understand that. Let's bow our heads and uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for just this time that you would challenge us in this new year, that as we get into 2018, that we don't see ourselves as the pinnacle of everything of life, that there are people around us who are far from you, We don't know who you are, and that should break us. that we know you to the point that, man, if, if other people around us like don't know who you are, like that should, that should do something to me in my heart. That every single time I see a rose on stage, like my, my, there's something about me that just is, just, is, is so excited to, to know that somebody came to know, like that's crazy that that happens. It's crazy that you wanna use us for such a thing, God, that you would allow us in this space to be used in such a creative fashion to bring people closer to you. It's the greatest privilege of our lives, regardless of all the other things that we get to do, that if we bring somebody close to you, that is the greatest privilege in our life. To see people baptized, to see students go and change their lives in in crazy fashions because they just knew you. That, That would be our heart's desire. That we would leave here and go, Jesus, I just want more of who you are. I want to know your love. I want to know your grace in a deeper and newer fashion. That you would give this to me fresh today. My heart would break as I go into school and I just look at that person who everybody bullies and I go, just Jesus wants to know them. That you would see all of these people who, through all of their lives, just give themselves these fake vantage points to everybody around them and you go, you don't have to hide anymore. Like Jesus just wants to know you. That that would happen to us. We don't have to hide behind videos or photos or the appearance that we want to portray to every other person. Or even the way that we walk into this building and we act because we're trying to fake it so other people can accept us. That all of that would just melt away and you would just go, God, please just let me know you. Let me see you for the first time. Let me feel what Paul feels. Let me feel what Moses feels, this deep desire for the people around me to the point where I will take the hits. The scariest place that could ever possibly be imagined. The place where nobody wants to, I will go so they can be with you. God, I pray that you would change us, all of us in the beginning of this year to see ourselves as different, to to not be like everybody else, but to know you all the more and that you would change our heart's desires and we would have a newfound mission and a newfound vision to see people transformed into fully devoted followers of Jesus. So Father, we thank you. We love you. And Jesus, I want to pray. Amen.